And we're live. Thank you for coming back for yet another episode. Hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans, it's time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies. A place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place. We are the podcast that puts the fun in dysfunction. But without further ado, we're going to let our guest, Mr. N.R. LaPointe, introduce himself. Can you tell us who you are to uh, people who might not have heard of you? All right. I am an independent author. I have four books uh, currently published. Uh, that's not including uh, one anthology and a couple anthologies that are coming out later this year. I live in Wisconsin, a uh, Wisconsin native. I have lived here all my life. Um, let's see. Is this where we're supposed to insert the obligatory cheese joke? Yes, those are those are necessary. Okay. I will Google one frantically and we can talk about it off air so the we don't destroy the uh, last hope in humanity that my listeners might have. <laughs> All right. Uh, so the next part of the introduction, dear listener, is how we found them. So this is yet another one of the slew of authors who uh, we found through Declan, who uh, we were in a pinch and we said, hey, we had a bunch of cancellations. And he said, I got you, fam. And he sent us a bunch of authors to interview. And it's been a wide variety of uh, content and creators, and I'm digging it. So this is yet another one that we, if you like it, hate it, blame Declan. <laughs> so, all right. So now, sir, before we get started, because we are the Blasters and Blades podcast, we have to do it. But the religion question, Star Wars, Star Trek, or Firefly? Honestly, none of the above. There, There's things I like about all three of them, but I, I gear much more towards... Uh, I guess pulp. Okay. Um, any specific that's a favorite of yours? Um, right now, a lot of the uh, superversive authors. I j actually just read *A Princess of Mars* uh, by Edgar Rice Burroughs, and that was absolutely fantastic. Um, big fan of H big fan of H.P. Lovecraft. Um, So did you watch the uh, the Princess of Mars, John Carter, that they attempted to make the movie? Did you I like that? I have not seen it yet. I've, I've heard mixed things. I, I think partly it failed because it was a marketing fail. They didn't tell you it was the Edgar Rice Burroughs. They didn't link it to the Mars. They just called it John Carter. And so uh, if you didn't already know what that was, you, you totally missed it. And then because they poorly marketed it, of course, we didn't get the sequel, so they didn't get the kid to finish the story. But for what it was, I really enjoyed it. Okay. Yeah, I've, I've heard about the marketing problem as well. I think they were also, that studio was also messing around with some other intellectual property. And so, oh, this shiny new thing, let's forget about Edgar Rice Burroughs, which is a huge mistake. Yeah, I, I don't know why they decide to do what they do sometimes, but I mean, it was it was good for what it was. I tend to be more forgiving of movie adaptations of books when I find them first because I don't go into it with uh, preconceived ideas. I can understand how if someone read the book first and then watches the movie, they're sometimes a lot more critical than I am um, because it just sort of is the way it is. Yeah. But uh, I also accept, generally speaking, that a movie adaptation of something is its own property that just similar name and similar themes. And if you can accept that, you tend not to get all butthurt about the changes. Yeah. So, uh, and some of the changes, at least in the past, were technology to recreate what was in the books just wasn't there to do it on screen. Yeah. Although I don't know with CGI, that's an excuse anymore. 
No, no, it actually seems like there's been a downgrade in quality of CGI in the last couple of years for some reason. I, I, I don't watch enough new movies. Uh, I was in college from 2000, 2004, and then I was in the two, twice to Iraq and then the recovery. So like, I just had a stretch from the first decade of the 2000 of the 21st century. I just didn't watch anything. So I've been going back and catching up all I missed before I catch all the new stuff. So, <laughs> so I haven't seen any of the new CGI. I do know when CGI came around, there was almost like there was a decrease in acting ability because everyone started relying on the explosion and the green screen that they forgot like the dramatic acting. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's definitely true. Uh, there's a reason Hollywood has started reaching out to some of the Shakespearean trained, like classically trained actors from overseas lately is because, you know, that you have to have the charisma yourself as the actor to, to pull it off. So, but right. we have one more religion question because we here at the Blasters and Blades podcast are polytheistic. So, Game of Thrones, Lord of the Rings, or the Wheel of Time? Lord of the Rings, easily. It is the it is the granddaddy of them all, so I get that. We might have to take him out of rotation just to be fair to everybody else, but I can't <laughs> think of another equally iconic property other than the three we named. Yeah, I think so, I read... Oh, sorry. As I say, so dear listener, when you, when you hear this and you leave in the comments, if there are any we should sub in that you want to hear the the guest wax poetic about what's their favorite, throw them in the comments and we'll we'll rotate some in. So you were saying? Uh, yeah, I actually read the the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings. I think back in fourth grade, so it's that's uh, nearly thirty years ago. Uh, and it's I re recently read uh, a I found an illustrated copy of the Hobbit and read that to my a couple of my boys, and they actually got pretty pretty well into it. I, the pictures helped, but it, they they were pretty excited about some of the plot points, uh, especially the the goblin. Uh, hole in the wall uh through which they're, they're all dragged yeah did you uh did you watch the weird cartoon that came out in the late 70s early 80s of the hobbit i actually oh, really like that one yeah I, I remember really liking that one haven't haven't shown them that one uh i think the visuals might be a little a little too scary for them at, at that age but uh eventually yeah that's that's gonna be that's what we wanted to see that one in the last unicorn i found right about the same time ah Okay. Is that another one you, you've uh, seen or now? I've, I've seen it once, um, and I recall it being kind of bizarre. I don't remember it very well. Uh, but that didn't, didn't that have Christopher Lee doing a voice as well? I'm pretty sure, but it was also filmed in a time where nose candy was um, not as hard to get. <laughs> and we'll just leave the creative arts to do their thing. <laughs> so... So there's some of that trippy acid thing going on. I don't know if they were actually doing drugs, but they sort of sometimes felt like there might have been some stuff going on in that writer's room. But not, not quite to Fantasia level, but, I mean, it was a little trippy. So, all right. So we like both the fantastical and the scientific, but what was your first love, sci-fi or fantasy? Oh, that's oh, that's a tough one. Because I, I, I was here with the Lord of the Rings pretty early on, and I grew up with... My my dad was a big uh, Star Trek: The Next Generation fan, and he had a bunch taped off of the TV. So I grew up, uh, you know, watching the Rankin Bassett Hobbit and also the Star Trek: Next Generation. So it's it, they, they kind of hit me at about the same time. Uh, um, I think the the fantasy held held me more uh, just because it's a bit more uh, out there. It gripped my imagination a bit harder than science fiction. Okay. 
Okay, that's that's a good answer. There's no wrong answer on these ones. That makes it really easy to give good answers, though. So, what was your first memory of engaging in speculative fiction as a genre? Was it watching those uh, shows with your dad, playing games on the computer, board games, role playing? Like, where did you discover the genre? Oh, I, yeah, I think it was it was it was probably the uh, the Lord of the Rings and Hobbit. My my older brother had the uh, the old like four book box set with the really kind of ugly covers. Uh, and I just like, picked them up and read them and just loved them ever since. And it kind of spiraled into a, uh, eventual love of like tabletop gaming and, uh, th that sort of thing. I remember actually, okay. I, I actually still have most, most of an old copy of, uh, uh, was it a uh, Warhammer quest, which I don't think is in print anymore. Um, and that's, it's a pretty fun game. Okay, so what is it about the larger field of uh, umbrella of speculative fiction that you love? Uh, I I think it's the the the, uh, the adventure of it really. Uh, you can, I when it comes to writing, you can just you can you know pick characters from like archetypes or you know what have you, base it off of somebody you know, but but throw them into some crazy situation where they have to fend for themselves against you know, whatever insane. A creature you, that pops into your head, um, and throwing magic or spaceships and any number of things, and it's just it's it's enormously fun, and there's just a lot of potential to do just about anything you want with it. Okay, that is a good answer. The endless possibilities are what most people come back to of why they love it. They're not constrained by humdrum, real, humdrum reality. They can sort of experiment in that field. So how did your love of speculative fiction as a genre transition into you writing stories in this space? Uh, well, I, I, I saw a lot of the, the, the potential uh, and I, I was reading just a lot of like mainstream fiction, uh, in particular young adult stuff. And just it wasn't very good and it had some questionable moral content so i just kind of got sick of it uh so i wrote my first uh first novel light singer with, uh, with the uh specific intent of being young young adult uh portal fantasy to just act, act to write the kind of story that i wanted to see um so that's that's what got me that's what got me writing is just noted noting the a lot of the the mainstream stuff just not up to par with what it could be did having kids yourself and wanting them to read sort of stories that teach them right and wrong was that an influence on why you were telling ya specifically i i think so yeah it's because there there's a lot of stuff where i'd be reading through it's like, oh i really wouldn't want my kids reading this like why what why is this sort of thing so prevalent so yeah i started writing and eventually it spiraled into bumping into a lot of uh writers within the, the pulp rev and superversive circles and a lot of them are doing a lot a lot of the same stuff okay so many authors will let their own real life experiences influence the stories they tell so were there any specific formidable moments that you feel like shaped you as a storyteller um Not not so much actually. Uh, the, the 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 stuff I write tends to be much more off the wall, uh, not 
not particularly pertaining to uh, my own personal experiences. Uh, some characters I'll, I'll base off of some uh, some quirks of people I've known, uh, and that's that tends to be a little more direct. That that that's pretty fun to do. Um, Okay, so transitioning away from the writing side, let's talk about things from a fan angle. Um, have you gotten any cool fan art or had anyone cosplay your characters yet? Uh, unfortunately, I've not. I'd, I'd, I'd actually kind of love to see that sort of thing happen. Um, so yeah, if, if anybody ends up doing that, I'm, uh, they can find me on uh, Twitter and uh, Twitter and Facebook. It would be the easiest way to get to get my attention with that sort of thing. Or you could join up for his newsletter. He's got that linked on his website. That's always a good way to stay in touch with authors because uh, generally speaking, newsletters are censor-proof. So you know, you're, not, you're not stuck by what's popular of the day and any crashing systems. So, you know, it helps the authors not put all their eggs in one basket, which is a good thing in, a, in an ever-changing and fluid marketplace. So, uh, And that's actually pretty apolitical because people on all sides of the political spectrum get banned all the time for various and sundry nonsense reasons. And this sort of allows the author to weather the storms, so to speak. Um, so has anybody since you started writing asked you for your autograph? Uh, yes, yes, actually. Um, mostly people I know already, but still... I, like the, the, when it started actually happening, it was still, still kind of surreal, I guess. Um, just I, I had one, uh, had some people, like all of a sudden this, uh, some friend's daughter comes up running to me with a, like holding a pink pen and my one of my books. That's my autograph. Uh, that's, yeah. Okay. Um, that is that is a interesting experience the first time it happened. So, like, what was that like for you? How, did you was like were you in shock or? Yeah, it was. I I wasn't sure what to make of it because I I wasn't expecting it honestly. Um, and so it's I've I've gotten used to it because I've been writing for a couple of years now. But yeah, the first first time was it seemed kind of uh, alien. Okay, so all right, this is the point where we talk about everything you have written, Mister N R Lapointe. Um, so, can you give readers the the readers? Can you give listeners the Reader's Digest version of your body of work? All right, my, my first novel is Light Singer. It's a young adult portal fantasy about a group of teenagers that get sent to another world and try to find their way uh, back home. Um, I have two books in the uh, Raven Mist Creek series. Uh, the first one of that is called Chalk. Uh, the sequel is Dusk Light. Uh, that's about a, a Catholic schoolgirl who discovers that she can, uh, when she draws things with chalk, uh, they become uh, real working uh, constructs. Uh, this ranges from anything from like, firearms to uh, a, a chalk golem, uh, which she names August. Uh, and then there is uh, the latest novel, which is Gun Magus, which is a take on the isekai genre, which involves a a uh, red-headed Texan who gets sent to a uh, Final, Final Fantasy-like world uh, after engaging with a bunch of human trafficking gangsters in a gunfight and car chase. That is an interesting take on it for sure. So for the uh, the Chalk, the Lightbringer, I think was the one that was the Portal Fantasy? No, Chalk, uh, like chalk the Chalk one. Was that... The the one about the chalk one was that one. That sounds really interesting. Is that one on audiobook? Uh, un unfortunately, no. I was working with somebody who who uh, was trying to dabble into doing an audiobook of it, but that 
seems to have fallen through. All right, we will definitely have to talk, have you back to talk about that one because I am intrigued. Um, I've never that, like that's a unique take on it. So we we will we will have to pencil that in. Um, but obviously, those all sound fascinating. But we're going to talk about Gun Ma Magus or Magus. 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 We're going to talk about that one today. So, how did you come up with the idea for this story? Like, where did you where did you come up with the idea? Ah, this this was uh, this was kind of brewing for a while. Uh, it it came about from conversations with some author friends, and uh, just an ongoing criticism uh, that some of my author friends and other people were having with the isekai genre in general. Um, and then it, uh, Yakov Merkin wrote his Light into Another World series that he's finishing up. I read the first volume of that and loved it. And he took on a lot of the a lot of the issues with the isekai genre and kind of flipped them around. Um, and so I just started throwing out ideas like um, on my own, like how I how would I approach this? And so it almost started as a joke, and I ended up writing a, a story that I actually really liked. So that um, and I kind of lost my train of thought now. Um, yeah, so it came about with uh, discussions over the genre and, let's see, uh, and also the, the the notion that there was apparently a lot of stories uh, involving heroes that were uh, reluctant heroes. Uh, so I, I took a hammer to that, uh, and I, my, my hero in this story, uh, Kenneth Jericho, uh, jumps right in uh, trying to be the good guy without any sort of hesitation or thought for his own personal safety diving in head first is often not a good um not a good answer to problems <laughs> uh, yeah, or, or it's the good source though of problems i will say if you, if you want to do it that way all right so before we dig into the story itself what, let's look at this cover for a moment so uh can you tell us the story of this um this this image that you used for your book cover uh yes that is I, what i was going for uh, I actually designed the cover. Uh, what I was going for was sort of a uh, '80s action movie poster. Um, okay. Yeah. So the uh, so you have the hero, the love interest, and the other main character, which is a uh, an anthropomorphic rabbit that can throw fireballs. I noticed the rabbit. I was going to ask about that one, but I did get a fireball throwing. I guess he doesn't get eaten. And he he eats everyone else at that point. So. All right. Well, we, before we dig into the story itself, we're going to pause for a moment while we shamelessly shill for the man. Twenty years have passed since the Ixa almost wiped humanity from the face of the galaxy. Now they have returned with a prophecy of doom. And the prophecy is already coming true. Start the series readers are calling an action-packed military thrill ride. Download Supercarrier today. Book one in the Ixen Prophecies trilogy, available from Amazon and Audible. It's an excellent series. Thank you, Scott, for uh, for sponsoring this uh, this episode. I highly endorse that uh, series. I've I've read it a couple times myself. You can't find a better author than Scott Bartlett and his uh, dynamic duo with Mark Boyette, his narrator. But uh, all right, so we're here to talk about your book, though. So, what would your thirty second elevator pitch for this novel be? Oh, okay. Let's see. Um, let's see. A redheaded Texan gets uh, isekai to a uh, fantasy world in which he discovers that he uh, his firearm seems to have unlimited ammo. 
Can I borrow that gun for reasons? <laughs> I mean, you know, for, for pro target practicing and stuff. Right. Do you go yeah. into how he discovers that? Or is that obviously, you know, we don't want spoilers, but do, do oh. you do you go into that story, like how that happens? Oh yeah, it's it's uh, it happens pretty quickly. I think even by right by chapter two, he's he's figuring that sort of thing out. Um, yeah, it's 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 basically a result of him being isekai'd. Uh, his uh, uh, his yeah his the magical powers he gains involve uh, firearms. Okay, so he has to go somewhere else to have those magical powers. All right, well that's a limitation. Uh, so what is it you think makes this novel special in the crowded field of isekai novels? Well, as I started, uh, sorry, as I started touching upon the um, the, the hero isn't reluctant in any way, shape, or form. Uh, I, I actually tried to throw him back to uh, based him sort of around like the '80s action hero archetype. Uh, so he do, he does actually spout off a few uh, wine liners here and there throughout the uh, throughout the length of the novel as well. Um, Let's see. As far as uh, well, he doesn't get he doesn't get hit by a truck to transport him. Uh, that's that's apparently a uh, something that sets apart. Um, uh, let's see. Yeah, he. I also didn't make him ridiculously overpowered as a lot of Isekai tends to do. Um, like his powers are ridiculous and fun, but there isn't like he. Like he isn't in like God mode throughout the whole thing and just kind of crushing everything. Uh, like, uh, like the one off the example I can uh, think of off the top of my head was the uh, that time I was reincarnated as a slime, uh, where the the character ends up being basically unstoppable because of the nature of their power. Um, so that's uh, which I think can can detract from like. The character being very interesting, uh, if they're just you know stopping everything that crosses their path with you know a wave of a wave of their hand, that makes sense. So you don't want to be so op that the story is boring. I get that. So you know you can include both isekai genre or just the the written words in general. But which tropes do you feel like Gun May just hits the best? Um. Well, I. The one that I delved into that I that I thought was a lot of fun was I I, I took the like the harem anime tropes and like flipped them on their head. Uh, so he's you know, surrounded by a bunch of uh, beautiful women, but the love interest from the get go is very very clear. Uh, so there isn't actually any of that uh, interplay that's typical in the the harem animes. Okay, that's part of the whole family-friendly part. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Okay, so what genre besides isekai would you feel like this story hits the fits the best into? Uh, the like the the eighties action blockbuster type of thing. Because um, there's there's an awful lot of like firefights and crazy off the wall action as well. Okay. So this is the part dear listener where we talk about the novel itself. So get your pens ready. There will be a test at the end, but can you tell us a little bit more about your main characters? 
Ah, well, the the main character, Kenneth Jericho, uh, uh, is well. We talked about a little bit how he jumps right into the action. Uh, the nature of which is like the book starts out right out with him engaging some human trafficking gangsters in, in an effort to save a little girl that he saw them dragging. They uh, they just grabbed and dragged him into their their van. So he chases them to stop him without really even thinking of the consequences for himself. Um, and he, uh, let's see, uh, some readers have des- described him as not so bright. I, I think it'd be more accurate to call him foolhardy. Because uh, he's, uh, I, I didn't write him to be stupid so much as uh, just kind of uh, selfless, I guess, in a, in a way that uh, might come off as kind of... Uh, lacking forethought um then there's the uh the love interest uh zephyr is a uh uh, kind of based around the magical girl tropes uh in that she uh has some uh, magical abilities with the use of ice and she is the apprentice to the anthropomorphic rabbit rolfwin who is referred to several times as a grand magus who uh, predominantly uses uh, fire magic, and so, the, oh, sorry. Say so. It sounds less like he's not smart and more like he's just naive and foolhardy, as opposed yeah. to, as far as like the main character. Yeah. Okay. All right, and and so do we get to know more about the rabbit, the uh, the expert mages? Yes, uh, he is uh, more of the like wizened old sage type. Uh, in my head canon, he is voiced by Christopher Lee, um, and he uh, is kind of the the brains behind the uh, the forces of good in the story. Really, uh, so there's kind of a uh, big trouble in Little China esque thing going on with uh, Ken. Essentially, being Rolfwind's sidekick to some extent. Okay, so do you play with that? I mean, because in in the world he came from, the rabbit would have been dinner, and now he's like kicking butt and taking names. So, do you play on that um, unique dynamic that would almost be a inversion of power dynamics as it would be in modern reality? Uh, not a lot. There's, there's, there's probably some elements of like the, uh, like the buddy cop genre, I think to some extent, uh, more than, more than interplaying with the, uh, that sort of, uh, inverted dynamic. Okay. So what about any secondary characters? Are there any that were especially memorable to you? Uh, yes. Uh, there, one of the other, uh, young woman that joins joins their troop named Pac uh, is a sp- uh, spider girl uh, who you know periodically has uh, uh, more eyes or and legs uh, but she can sort of secret those away uh, <clears throat> sorry uh, magically uh, she was a lot of fun to write because she uh, uh, kind of serves as a foil to Zephyr uh, she has a very obvious crush on Ken, but also actually likes Zephyr, so she doesn't actually 
push it as hard as some other stories might uh, because she actually sees, oh, this is, you know, this is my friend. I don't want to actually, you know, hurt either of them, as that would be ridiculous. Uh, so it's, 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 ends up more of a, more of a funny uh, comical tease than uh, an actual uh, antagonistic uh, relationship. Okay. That could still be interesting. So what about the bad guy for this story? Obviously, we don't want spoilers, but um, what can you tell us about the antagonist? Uh, yes, the antagonist is uh, starts out as uh, what you think to be sort of a mid-level gangster who sends out his thugs to uh, extort money and kind of bully people around. Um, And you find out that Rolfwin and Zephyr have actually been uh, trying to disrupt some of his plans here and there, but they can never get a handle on him because he's never present. Uh, It's always him throwing his thugs at at various things. So Ken comes by and they sort of uh, recruit him without much effort. Um, uh, I'm trying to, think, trying, trying to think of how to, how to proceed without uh, giving away too many spoilers as to uh, what the villain becomes, but it, it, it does spiral into something much more uh, grand and uh, threatening for the, the structure of the world itself. Okay. That is uh, that's a good answer without giving any spoilers. So speaking of characters, if yours met you in a back alley and they knew the hell you put them through as the creator of this world, as the god of the of the world of Gun Magus, Magus, I'll get it right eventually, I promise. Um, how would you see that interaction playing out? Uh, given the nature of Ken, he would probably give me a rather hearty handshake. So and I don't mean that, that ir- mean- I don't mean that ironically. So does that mean he's pleased to leave the world he was in? Because most of the time, like that gets weird if you've left a family behind, right? Like in obligations. Yeah, the he uh well at the beginning of the story you you, f- you find out he was fired from his job for unknown reasons, and he doesn't have any connections to the world. Um there's actually there is actually a conversation, I think at somewhere in the, in the in the midpoint of the novel where they discuss like well we can try to figure out how to get you back and he he, he basically protests the uh, the notion to, to some extent okay that um sounds interesting so since we did talk about characters you mentioned that you had some archetypes that you like do you have a favorite character archetype yeah i'm, I'm a big fan of the the bubbly uh upbeat female archetype uh that's typically the the most the most fun to write i use that uh with zephyr uh to an extent i used it a bit more in in chalk with a a kitsune kitsune character who i've described as sort of a murderous version of pinkie pie um but it's uh yeah, the, the the dialogue tends tends to write itself for characters like that, and their interplay tends to just come uh, like rolling. Uh, it's uh, it's actually pretty fun to watch uh, as as I as I create it. 
So do you create like, do you outline it and then write it? Or are you writing into the dark and sort of are surprised as the reader when you get there? I, I, I have, uh, I know where I start and I pretty much know like where I'm going to end. So I have probably about 10 to 20% of the book planned in my head. Uh, the rest is a matter of, uh, I have these characters. I'm going to throw them, throw them into the beginning, have them, figure things out for themselves and kind of fly by I, I pants it um and it, it, I, I find the characters tend to write themselves a lot better if i outline too harshly i end up doing a lot more rewriting uh because everything end, ends up feeling very like shoehorned in and forced it doesn't flow as organically if i just let the characters uh, react to things on their own Okay, so finally, what can you tell us about the universe? Uh, in many, most stories, or at least the good ones, the universe where the stories happen is as much a character as the protagonist or the antagonist. So what can we expect from the world that um, your main character gets ported into? Uh, it, was, it was very much influenced by uh, Final Fantasy VI and also to an extent the, uh, uh, the anime Chika, the Coffin Princess. Uh, so there's a lot of... Uh, like there's some magitech, there's some like floating fortresses, uh, there's a ghost train, uh, there's any number of uh, different fantasy races. Like there, there, another one of the characters that, that joins them is an elf girl. Um, uh, there's also some uh, uh, Lovecraftian horrors thrown in there as well. Uh, my editor actually, one of his notes uh, toward, towards the end, when uh, a particularly disgusting uh, creature pops up, noted uh, a very John Carpenter-esque, uh, which I appreciated. That is a, a good comparison to get. Um, yeah. That is that's a very good one, um, especially since we were just talking about it at the beginning. That was one of your favorites, so that. Um... That had to be especially touching for you, since uh, since you mentioned what your um, what you were reading from that era. So, is Gun Magus uh, Magus going to be a part of a series, or is it the story done? It's, I I had so much fun writing it, and the feedback has been so positive uh, that I, I I already have some ideas for what I want to do with a sequel. It is a it is a standalone, uh, but. I I love to bring the characters back and uh, see what see what other kind of uh, terrors and uh, ridiculous situations I can put them in. Uh, whether it's sending them all back to Earth for some reason, because I mean Ken was dealing with the uh, the human traffickers, and that for all we know they're still around, um, or any number of other things could be explored in the the fantasy world itself too. Having him go back with his magical cohort of friends could be an interesting story. Yes, that that could be a lot of fun with the, the, any uh, the, you know, quote, quote, normal human interactions as they encounter you know an anthropomorphic rabbit that can throw fireballs. That would be you could almost do it where like and obviously we're just spitballing here and having fun, but you could almost have it where they think the rabbit's the pet until the rabbit starts talking to them, and right. if they try to tell anyone, everyone's gonna be like, "Dude, you're crazy." <laughs> <laughs> that that could be fun. 
Um, <laughs> that's almost like inverting the whole premise of the Isekai novel is, is the, the fantasy world comes to you. I, right, I can right. see it. So we all know that every literary universe has its own internally consistent rules of science, technology, and magic, or magic, I guess. So what sort of magic can we expect from these books? Uh, Gun, Gun Magus, I kept the uh, magic system, uh, to use the term loosely, pretty simple. Uh, it's uh, like there's some very set of abilities usually referred to as Magus. Uh, and what that would encompass is things associated with that. And they have their limitations, uh, usually uh, along the lines of like, oh, you, you know, you use an awful lot of magic. Now, you know, you've depleted your magical reserves, as it were. Um, like for Ken, like his uh, ammo seems fairly un unlimited, but there are moments where he does actually run out of magical power and he's left to his own, uh, you know, his own devices and just, you know, his two fists. Okay. Um, do you do any of that in the novel or? What's that? Where he, well, do you do any of that in the novel where, where he has to go fist to fist? Oh yeah. Yeah. That, uh, there's a couple moments. I think that, uh, yeah, there's uh, a fist fight with a troll at one point. It's uh, where he, he it gets the gets his gun knocked out of his hand at least once or twice once or twice um so do you have him coming in with any martial skills other than you know the experience with guns um it's most most it's mostly his uh i mean well he he's the type that takes care of himself so he's he's not you know some He's not a lazy uh, human being, um, and he he does note that he would go to go to the range for like practicing and training, like as as often as uh, his budget and free time would permit. Uh, is how I, I think I put it in the novel. Okay, but what about the hand to hand stuff? Was that something he just sort oh. of learns on the fly? Yeah, so he's he's not particularly effective at that. Uh, <laughs> Okay, so of all the magic that you gave people in this in this alternative fantasy world, which one would you want for your daily use? Ooh, oh, that's a tough one. Um, I, I don't see there being much practical use for uh, the the gun magus abilities, uh, as neat as it would be. Um, uh, Have you seen ammo prices lately? I mean, I'm just saying. That's that's a, that's a good. That's actually a very good point. Um, there's also the, also the fact that uh, part of part of his ability is uh, able to change other objects into firearms, which aren't normally firearms. Uh, but then there's you know there's then there's the ability to use the fire in various ways. So that's I'd probably have to go with the, the gun abilities just because they'd, they'd be cooler and more unique. All right. So how would you abuse that? Uh, that ability, if you had it on Earth, <laughs> abuse it. Um, yeah. Oh goodness. Um, I'm I'm not sure how to answer that question. <laughs> uh, oh yeah. Well, this is true. Legal concerns. We're just going to insert a beep and we'll move on. <laughs> All right. It seems like it would be so, a very 
easy one to abuse. Yeah, I'm just thinking with the fireball one of all the times, like when you when you're grilling and things just aren't getting the heat you want on your grill. Hey, I'm still learning, people. Right, right. Like I, that would be convenient to come in and just sort of supercharge that fire just enough to get the perfect perfect cook on your on your grill. Right, That's such a dad answer, but you know it is what it is. <laughs> but everything tastes better cooked over fire. It does. It does. Um, so your universe clearly has fantastical creatures in it. So how do you go about creating them? Do you let your nightmares inspire you? Are you inspired by Mother Nature? Do you make things up out of you know whole cloth? Like where do you get these creatures from? Oh goodness, it's uh, it it varies. It's usually just I, I let my imagination run wild. Um, usually there's a lot of uh, Lovecraftian and John Carpenter influence uh, things with. Far too many teeth, far too many eyes, tentacles where there shouldn't be tentacles, um, eyeballs where there shouldn't be eyeballs. Just any anything off the wall. If it if if I think of it, I tend to add it somewhere or make a note of it to use later. Um, okay. Yeah, it's that's, it, that's... It, it, it's pretty crazy. I mean, it, it all makes it fun. Some people are, you know, like they like to pull from folklore or, or whatever. Pulling from all over is an acceptable answer. Um, so, you know, this ob interview is obviously winding down. But before we go, was there anything about Gun Magus, that, uh, Mate Magus, Magus, that I didn't ask that you wanted to tell us before we move on? Um, not that I can think of uh, at the moment. Any plans for this to come to audio for those that are listeners? Uh, I've been starting to mull over uh, the, the, the possibility. I haven't delved too much into it, so I'm not sure what the options are for uh, how to get it out there. I know, I think Amazon has some sort of uh, service that they do that to get it through Audible. Uh, so I've looked into that a little bit. Um, yeah, because oh, they I, have I, ACX, I think, is what you're thinking about. Okay, because I, I have actually had people request me to to get audiobooks out there. It's just a matter of the uh, getting somebody to do it. Um, okay. So, because we mentioned that you started writing because you wanted things that told good moral stories, and you wanted things your kids could read, what would the age range be for this stories where it would be where you would feel comfortable saying, "Yes, you know, if you're this old, you could read this novel." Uh, depending on the kids, I'd, I'd say mid to late teens. I mean, there there isn't. I don't think there, I don't think there's any profanity. Uh, there there's no sex. Uh, it there's. The, the, the worst thing on that end is some some of the women wear some interesting outfits, but it's, it, I, I don't dwell on I don't dwell on it. Um, the The violence is pretty off the wall, uh, but it's I, I don't dwell on describing gore. Uh, uh, I mean, this wasn't this wasn't a this wasn't a horror novel. There's some horror elements, so it's I'd I'd I'd, I'd say it's pretty PG thirteen. 
Okay. All right. So before we let you go, dear listener, we would like to remind you to please be kind and speak your mind on the reviewing platform. They help the right readers find the right books. And as I tell you all the time, the reading writing process is a symbiosis between the readers and the writers. And your part to help is to write the reviews so you can help other readers dig the same kinds of things you dig so you can get sequels to them. Because if the author can't feed his family, he generally has to get a day job. So do your part, write the reviews, it helps, and we all greatly appreciate it, and we benefit with it from it with more awesome, uh, awesome novels. Um, and just as like I said, as a reminder, but before we let you go, Mr. N. R. LaPointe, can you tell listeners how they can find you? Uh, they can find me on uh, Twitter is probably the most uh, probably the easiest place to find me, and I'm I'm more active on there than other places. Uh, I do have a, a Facebook author page as well. Uh, and a a blog at uh, empyreanblade.wordpress.com, uh, which I haven't actually updated in a little bit. But that's most mostly uh, mostly book reviews. Uh, yeah, tw- Twitter is probably going to be the best place to find me. Okay, and uh, as usual, dear listener, all the links are in the show notes. So if you can't remember how to spell it, don't worry about it. Click the link; you're good to go. We got you. But uh, you can find us on our Twitter at twitter.com backslash SF underscore fantasy underscore show. Sierra Foxtrot underscore fantasy underscore show. You can email the show at blasters and blades podcast at gmail.com. Again, blasters and blades podcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook where all the shenanigans happen at facebook.com backslash groups backslash a blasters and blades podcast. Again, backslash groups backslash a blasters and blades podcast. Be sure to comment in there. If you got more questions for the author, I can generally make sure they uh, they get them and answer them, even if they're not on Facebook. So it is a good place. If you want to talk to the authors we interview, we can make things happen for you, dear listener. You can follow us on our website at anchor.fm backslash blasters tech and tech blades. Again, anchor.fm backslash blasters dash and dash blades. Uh, if you're listening to this at the end of September, Doc has hopefully recovered from her trip to Dragon Con, where she is as we record this episode. So uh, hopefully soon we'll have a proper website. But in the meantime, we do have the anchor.fm, which hosts our episodes for free. Uh, you can go there and support the show for as little as 99 cents a month. It does help us keep the lights on, or you can sort support the show more directly at buymeacoffee.com backslash author J.R. Hanley. Again, buymeacoffee.com backslash author J.R. Hanley. Be sure to put in the comment section that it is for the podcast, and I promise I will keep my co-hosts, Doc Seska and Nick Garber, duly caffeinated. They will drink until their liver explodes from too much caffeinated goodness. They will drink the sacred bean water, people. But uh, as we bring this to a close, I wanted to thank you for spending some of your precious time with us. For the aforementioned Nick Garber and Doc Seska, I am J.R. Hanley, and this was the Blasters and Blades podcast. We'll be back next week at the same time where we'll indulge our love of nerd culture, cheesy jokes, and all things that go boom. Thanks for stopping by, NR. Thanks for having me.